0: Calls for schools to attend to social and emotional learning have proliferated in recent years. Is this enthusiasm for educating the whole child an overdue correction to the narrow concentration on academic skills that's characterized the modern reform era? Or is it a misguided retreat from academic rigor and an attempt to sidestep demands to hold schools accountable? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and I'm joined today by the author of one side of an Ed Next forum debating those questions and more about the renewed interest in supporting students' social-emotional development. Robert Ballfans is a research professor at the Johns Hopkins University School of Education, and you can find his contribution to the forum entitled, An Integrated Approach Fosters Student Success, on the journal's website at educationnext.org. Bob, welcome to the Ednext Podcast.
1: Thank you, Marty. Glad to be here.
0: So calls to place more emphasis on social-emotional learning are often presented as a critique of the standards and accountability movement that's dominated education reform over the past 30 years or so. One of the intriguing aspects of your piece is that you present the push for social-emotional learning as a natural outgrowth of the standards movement rather than a departure from it. In what sense is that the case?
1: Um, well, but, you know, the goal of the standards and accountability movement really was this idea that schools have to prepare kids for adult success. And in in recognition of the knowledge economy that was driving uh, economic activity in the 20th and 21st century was the recognition that a level of school success was necessary to have access to that knowledge economy. And if we want all our kids to have equal access to it, we have to make sure that there is a baseline of academic success that all kids have. And that was the genesis of standards and accountability movement, sort of this idea that we have to make sure all kids have equal access uh, to the drivers of adult success um, in our era and basically the argument I make is that that's 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 a good good thing um, <laughs> that's a very noble and worthy and the right goal and that to achieve that we've got to use all the tools at our disposal and in just in about the same 30 years the standards and accountability movement was developing we've learned a lot more about the science of learning and how the brain works and what that's taught us is, is that, social, emotional, and academic development are all deeply integrated. And so therefore, if we want to use all the tools at our disposal to enable all kids to participate fully and that uh, have a chance at full life success, we need to take an integrated approach and use all those tools and develop, in an integrated way, social, academic, and emotional uh, sides
0: of the coin. So I'd like to examine the scientific basis for that integrated approach that you call for in the piece as well as turn to what it would look like in practice and, and how we can get there. Let's let's start with the science. You just said that learning science has really blossomed in recent decades and become useful to educators. What exactly have we learned that points in the direction of this integrated approach?
1: Yeah, well what we've learned is when you think about it that that we we know that like when you actually learn something and you acquire a new skill that there's Often inherent, that's often inherently joyful and exciting, and that often provides the intrinsic motivation, uh, to keep going. But we've also learned is that as amazing as our cognitive abilities are, there's also real limits to them. And that actually makes learning effortful, and it means you have to, it's hard, and it takes hard work, and it doesn't always go in a linear fashion. And therefore, anything that takes work is susceptible to influences which undermine your motivation to work, or your ability to work um or take away pull away the resources you need to work and that's where our understanding of how both the social and emotional side come into play that if you're under stress you have less focus in class um if you have compelling outside challenges you have less focus in class Um, if you feel bullied or disconnected from school or that no one cares about you you have stress and less motivation to learn so we've really learned that you to learn it's both a, a, a cognitive process and for many times people thought it was sort of this cool information processing that you could program and we've look, really learned from the scientists a much more hot process where it is has both those sort of elements of uh cognition but greatly influenced by both your emotions and your social
0: interactions. and so you're arguing that focusing on those emotions and social interaction is actually a prerequisite for academic learning. So you're presenting a focus on social-emotional development, not just as something we have to do in addition to prepare students for a workforce, an adult life that places a premium on their skills in those areas, but actually is essential for academic learning itself. Is, is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. And, it, and it's both those things. There are, you know, what we, what's true for kindergarten is true for life. We do need to know how to take care of ourselves and we do need how to get along with others. Um, so those those skills are important in themselves. But the argument we make is when you really look at the science of learning, even just to have learned your full potential, to like have the your greatest, the greatest of the number of academic skills you can and the deepest knowledge base, um, also will require us paying attention to the social-emotional side of learning.
0: So what would the type of integrated approach that you envision imply for educators? What would it look like in practice?
1: Well, what it means is, is a, I hear a couple of things. It means, like, when we're diagnosing, like, why we're not getting the gains we think we should be getting in a particular school or classroom or with a child, that we need to do a more holistic analysis. We can't, we often just try to understand, like, well, do you have the prerequisite skills? Do you have the foundational cognitive skills? And yes or no, let's work on those. And that's very important, but it's also understanding that the other side, the motivation, the ability to focus, the ability to work without distraction, um, all matter. And we have to make sure that we're giving kids environments where they have those abilities to do those as well as worry about the prerequisite skills. And that's gonna be true at an individual level, a classroom level, and a school level. So I think getting the diagnosis right of which of these multiple elements are the the drivers of the lack of performance we want is important. But more broadly, I think we wanna create and help teachers understand how does this, this idea of creating with sort of both an academically challenging and social emotionally supportive classroom? And that's like really easy to say, but when we look at this, it's it, it's actually like it's not necessarily the natural personality type of folks. Some folks are, you know, more fit with it like, you know, you got to work hard, you know, you got to grow up, you got to like stay focused. This is like you got to figure it out, and I'm here to deliver like high level academic challenge. And other folks might be like, I understand your situation and I'm empathetic and I'm whatever and I'm going to help you find a way through, but maybe in doing that, not quite push you as much as is necessary. And so it's going to really take some subtle professional development for, in most cases, to develop the side that's weakest in any given teacher. So it's in balance. So they can both have high academic challenge and create a supportive, socially, emotional environment where kids are able to focus free of distraction and are motivated and believe they can succeed.
0: And that may bring us to one of the areas of tension between your piece and its counterpart in the forum by Russ Whitehurst. Whitehurst, as I read him, expresses at least two concerns about the current push for social-emotional learning. One is simply the lack of rigorous evidence that school-based interventions, like the type of professional development you were just referring to, focused on social-emotional learning, actually produce noticeable improvements in either social emotional skills or academic performance. Do you agree with this characterization of the evidence or, uh, or not?
1: I think it's more complex. I mean, I think it's true in a broad-based level. This is a very new and emergent field, especially social emotional stuff that's sort of based in learning sciences and aiming to both you know, improve social emotional skills and their how they drive academic outcomes is I think emergent and therefore, like anything, it takes a while from the basic science to get to sort of applied evidence of impact. But sort of in medicine, once we know the basic science is true, we don't tend to say we're not gonna do interventions based on that science because we haven't done every field trial yet, right? You do the field trials and you keep improving it. So I think that's the space we're in. Um, So I think the lack of super strong evidence is not a strong case that that this doesn't matter. I think it's a reflection of it's very emergent. And then I do think that on, in smaller cases, there is, there is a growing evidence base. The workaround growth mindset is getting more mature, um, and it's shown some pretty stable connections to academic outcomes. So I think, I think there's both more evidence on a small scale than, than maybe was being referred to, and that on a larger scale, it doesn't surprise that we don't have that, that big body of evidence yet, given the, where we are, just in the timing of all this.
0: And a second concern that Whitehurst expresses is what he sees as an emphasis on changing students' traits or dispositions, which may be difficult, if not impossible, as opposed to teaching them discrete skills. So, for example, he contrasts teaching a shy student to be extroverted with teaching her to make eye contact when meeting someone. Is is this sound advice, and how, if at all, does your vision of a focus on social-emotional learning differ?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it is fair to say that right now social-emotional learning is a very big tent, and that you can find many people advocating many different things under that tent, and not all of them are going to pan out. And I would actually agree that that trying to change things that are traits is not the place to invest your time and effort. But I would also argue that there are many things we've learned about from the learning science of things that are malleable, um, everything from how you manage your stress and your emotions, um, to you know how you how you can learn to sort of build more of a growth mindset and do goal setting and all sorts of things that are sort of sort of on the closer the school success side of the coin of social emotional learning um, that I think are much more analogous to his thing of like we need to figure out to teach you how to read well um, so I think there are social emotional elements analogous to the other side of the coin he talks about um, and then I think I would finally say that not on the trade side but on the more broad side things like learning how to you know get along and how to take care of yourself those are important in and of themselves right so that that's sort of in the middle
0: (laughs) so let's turn to what it might take to see more schools taking an integrated approach you argue among other things that school accountability systems will need to be retooled how so and what else needs to happen
1: yeah, so that that was my argument about really being able to diagnose, like, the reasons why we're not getting the outcomes we want. And so if we only have a purely cognitive measure, we're going to always assume, right? If, if we only have a hammer, we're going to always assume all we can do is hit a nail in. Um, so those, those cognitive measures are very important, but I think we need to balance them with, and you know, there's ways through surveys and other measures to get sort of a, a sense of the, the school climate, the classroom climate. Um, that have had some pretty good properties of, of being informative that I think need to be added. And some a number of states are starting to do this. They're playing around with it. Um, but it's just this idea, and ultimately one could argue, we ultimately have to get down to more classroom-level analysis of that data, right, because it is going to vary by classroom. Um, it's not if we average everything to the school, we're probably going to lose a lot. So I think it's both adding in some of those other social uh, school climate measures and – seeing if we can actually disaggregate it further so we can get much better diagnosis of why we're not getting the outcomes we want.
0: One of the ways you see an interest in broadening the focus of school accountability systems playing out in in the past several years was this requirement that states incorporate an additional indicator of school quality or student success into their accountability systems under that law. Uh, Most states, as I understand it, have taken advantage of that opportunity or sought to comply with it by including indicators related to chronic absenteeism. That's a topic I know you've done a good bit of work on. So I'm curious, do you see that as sort of an example of moving in this direction of emphasizing social emotional development? uh, Or is it something of a missed opportunity to head even further in the type of direction you were just referring to?
1: I mean, I think that given the time and place and the level of instrumentation available, it's it's a reasonable place for the states to start. Um, But it is still sort of a proxy. I mean, kids are chronically absent for a range of reasons. Some of them are social-emotional and can give you some good cues. Some are much more about out-of-school challenges or bad school transportation or all kinds of things that are important and essential to get kids to school every day but aren't necessarily going to be a social-emotional metric. So I think it's necessary to measure chronic absenteeism. It needs to be in there. I think over time, we're gonna still wanna add some additional at least school climate sort of outcomes on top of that. But I understand given the level of instrumentation and the requirements of the law, why they went to where they
0: they went. And right now to try and measure the types of factors that you just referred to school climate or even student skills in the social emotional domain, we typically rely on surveys. do you think that will continue to be the case in the future or do you think we'll be able to develop the, you know, analog of the math and reading test for student social and emotional development?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the big question under investigation right now. I mean, I know lots of folks are trying doing really creative work trying to come up with those those broader measures. The other interesting thing when you look at the data is that sometimes that we might just have to ret- trust adult judgment. A number of things I've seen that, like, teacher or adult reports on student behaviors are often sometimes more accurate than student reports. So I think we have to triangulate and may have to consider adding a little more of what you know used to be in elementary school when you would get teacher comments on a range of behaviors beyond your academics that may surprisingly be useful still um, in later grades.
0: That's an interesting point. I remember getting effort marks on my report cards in elementary school. I'm not sure how much attention was paid to them, Um, but you know, that suggests that paying attention to things other than students' academic success is hardly new under the sun. Uh, Do you see this to some extent as a return to an older understanding of the role of schools rather than uh, an innovation?
1: It's interesting. I, mean, I think there's, there's elements of that, that that like whole child is certainly not new, <laughs> it's at, least, at least back to John Dewey and William James, I think, but maybe before then. Uh, I think what is new, at least, is that we, we have a deeper understanding of the learning sciences behind it. And that, for example, might help us like, not go towards traits, but towards things that are malleable. Um, so I, I do think although it's not a revolutionary idea in itself to worry about the whole child integrating academic social emotional i think our understanding of how that integration works is much greater and therefore hopefully we have much more potential to make good use of that um, to improve outcomes across the board for our, for our kids and ourselves
0: my guest today has been robert Ballfans, research professor at the johns hopkins university school of education and the author of An Integrated Approach Fosters Student Success, available now at educationnext.org. Bob, thanks for being part of the podcast. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. While you're there, be sure to check out our archive, and especially if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It helps us find more listeners and more listeners to find us.